Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Uh, if you are new to the church, my name is Dave, and it's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here. I cannot see anybody, so if you're all falling asleep today, it's free me, I, I have no idea. I see what Pastor Bray was saying, it's like... I feel like I'm in a firing squad. Um, I can't see any of you. I would ask you to track with me. Today is what we normally call our recommitment service. We normally call it recommitment Sunday, but obviously today is Saturday. But we use the last worship service of the year to invite everyone at Harvest to reflect on their spiritual journey and to consider where they are spiritually and to make some commitments going into the new year around your faith life. You know, Scripture has some really compelling images that describe what uh, it means to become a Christian. When you go from being a non-believer to someone who names Jesus as Savior, there's lots of language in Scripture to describe that, but one of the most startling images, I think, comes from Jesus. I don't have my accompanist monitor, so I'm trusting you guys will correct me if I jump ahead too far. But Jesus said in John chapter 3... I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Now that's weird sounding language to us, but it was also weird sounding language to them. His disciples heard that, and they had no idea what he was talking about. One of them even said, but we're fully grown, how can we go back into our mother's womb? He took it literally, and of course Jesus said, oh my goodness. Let me explain to you what I mean. We're not talking about a literal physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. In other words, there is a first birth that comes through your mother and your father, and you are born in the flesh. That is the biological life we all share in common. But there is a second birth available for us, and that is a rebirth of your spirit, that essential part inside of you that comes to life when it once was dead, and that can only come through God's Holy Spirit. That spiritual life which bursts forth in us is fundamentally different than our biological life. So that you could be 80 years old biologically and be a newborn spiritually. That's the amazing mystery of the spiritual life, which Jesus describes as being born yet again. The Apostle Paul adds to our understanding in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Paul is saying here, what the New Living Translation renders as, we have become a new person, is that there is something in us that is essentially made all new, brand new. And that's really compelling language, but we have to unpack a little bit what that means so we understand it correctly. You know, when we hear a phrase like, a new person, or a new creation, I think it's common for most people to think in terms of renovation or renewal, the restoration of something old and worn out. In fact, if you, if you th think about the, some of the most popular shows on television today, they are when we do makeovers or renewals of old things that become transformed. You know, I, I often think about people who have gone through an intense physical makeover. 
There are all these videos now I, I see on Instagram where people, they're doing this to a song, they snap, and all of a sudden all the makeup, they look like a completely different person. Like 30 years of age have gone off. It's amazing the power of makeup. And on top of all the makeup, there are people who go through massive body transformations. So we like to see that, a person who was once like this and has become new. The ugly duckling become the swan and so forth. A lot of popular shows highlight that the process of being made into a new person. Or we think about this old house. And how an old, beaten down house with a little bit of investment in elbow grease becomes someplace beautiful to live in. Some of my favorite shows, because I'm a car guy, is when people find an old barn find, an old junker, and after some skillful fabrication, they make it look like a gleaming brand new machine, especially when they turn it into an American muscle car, hot rod. I love shows like that. I just in general love when I see something that seems old and spent and used up, ready for discarding, and someone puts their hand to it, and it's become brand new. You can't even recognize this thing from what it was originally. And those kinds of transformations that capture our imagination, they require a lot of human investment and intervention. And for sure, there is some measure of that in the spiritual life that's necessary. For us to become new creations fully, for us to become the new people God made us to be, it will take some work, some investment. But what scripture is describing is something even more profound than that. That far beneath the effort and investment we make in our own spiritual growth, there is this mysterious new life, a, a new capacity, a spark, very deep within us, that what wasn't there and is deposited by the Spirit of God. Where we might say we were once spiritually incapable of this life, God touches us and a new life, a new capacity, uh, you might even say a new dimension of our being comes alive that was once not alive. And without that divine spark of life, the spiritual life, the new birth, all of our effort and all of our investment wouldn't make much difference at all. But because that new life is deposited by the living Spirit of God, the efforts we make have a profound impact on the way our lives turn out. So we have to keep both those things in mind, hold them in tension. There is a kind of life which God alone can produce in us, and a kind of life which we participate in, so that we grow and build into that new life the way that God intends. This new capacity, this new life, I think a great metaphor for it is the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. And by the way, this point is called new versus like new, because I think there's a big difference when you're buying something. Like when someone says, it's a new house, or they say, it's like new, very different things. New means no one else has lived in it, it's brand new, new construction. Like new means a lot of people lived in it, but we cleaned it up the best we could. It's like new. And what we're learning is that when God makes us into a new creation, He doesn't make us like new, He makes us new. The metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly is like this. I used to think that what happens is a caterpillar suddenly stops on a branch, forms this cocoon around itself, and in that safe little warm cozy space, he sprouts wings out of his back and becomes a butterfly. And you, you might forgive me for making that assumption because if you take away all the other stuff, really the body of a caterpillar and the body, the central stalk 
of a butterfly look pretty much the same. So it's easy to assume that what happens is a butterfly, a caterpillar, basically just grows these beautiful wings and it spreads them. Look at me. I used to just be this lowly caterpillar, but now look at me. And it shows its new wings and that's all that happens. I was shocked when I learned that the truth is far more dramatic. That inside this cocoon, the caterpillar essentially melts and dissolves into a giant goop of DNA soup. It's a cellular soup, and there are these little things called imaginal disks, these little blueprint cells that, that form, and around it, a whole new organism emerges. So a caterpillar is not just a, a becoming a butterfly by sprouting wings, it literally melts into its, its component parts and then it's reconstituted into a whole new creature so that the butterfly that emerges is not the caterpillar with wings attached, it's a whole new creature that is very different than the one that went into that process. And that's a, a metaphor for what God does with us when He makes us into a new creation. He doesn't just add attachments to our surface so that we're like new, he does something profound in our most essential layer to make us new. And I think that's the part that has frustrated a lot of people, is that they haven't had that experience of a divine spark. Instead, what they found, and often it's for people who are growing up in the church, never really given much of an option to choose any other, other uh, way of looking at the world, is that they were indoctrinated and enculturated into a religious culture. They learn how to speak the language and do the practices of those who are people of faith. But along the way, that divine spark of new life never really took root in them. And so after a while, as they learn how to mimic the behavior and appearance of those who are in the church, nothing else was really going on. It might be something like if you enter a relationship and you're trying really hard, like on paper, this makes sense, we're perfect for each other and you don't really feel a, a bond, a connection, but you do the right thing, you go through the motions, but at some point you realize it's really hard to keep doing this without something deep and profound in me that is engaged fully in this. Something didn't happen, and so the constant surface level mimicry isn't cutting it anymore. I can't pretend that this is real. The nature of the new life in Christ is not that we learn how to behave like a Christian, but that something deep inside of us is made new, not by our power or our effort, but by the supernatural profound power of God. And on top of that profound change, we begin to walk into that, to lean into it, and a newness fully comes out of us. So that while we might just look like a bug that grew wings, we're something totally different. Profoundly different. If our life in Christ begins with something as radical as a new birth, a rebirth, then it makes sense that at some point we have to grow up spiritually. Everything that is born has to grow. Nature abhors stagnation. You can't just be born and stay an infant forever. I know that when I had our babies, all four of them, I wanted to freeze them at a certain age. When they were so cute, relatively easy, I know no one thinks a newborn's easy, but wait till you have teenagers, newborns, you long for the days when all I had to do is change diapers. I wish we could freeze babies at a certain age. I wish we could freeze puppies and kittens and all the baby animals at a baby stage. But everything grows. But not everything grows up. 
We all begin our life as Christians as spiritual newborns. And as newborn infants, there's a kind of growth that is automatic. It's effortless. We don't need to do it because just like, like a, a newborn baby, cellular reproduction happens without effort. The size grows. Things develop. Those are things that are on God's clock. It just happens because he ordained it and set it in motion. So there's a level of our growth that has nothing to do with our investment or our engagement at all. But there is a level of growth that absolutely requires our involvement and our effort and our investment. You can't grow up simply by leaving nature to run its course any more than you, you would, that would work biologically. And I was really um, made aware of this dynamic around 25 years ago. You know, in the early years of Harvest, some of you in this room remember when we used to go together. We, we even went together to China to do some work out there. And I remember on one particular visit, we spent a good amount of time at a Christian orphanage in Northeast China. And I will never forget this young girl I met named Lucy. She was really small. I thought at most she might be five years old, six years old. But I was shocked when the orphanage workers told me she was 12 at the time. How can a 12-year-old look this frail, have so little hair, be so emaciated? And then I noticed that her legs were very disfigured and she couldn't walk. And when I asked the workers what her story was, they said, well, for the first 10 years of her life, she was in a very different kind of orphanage, a state-sponsored orphanage that gave zero love, zero attention, zero care to the kids under their, their protection. And nobody bothered to invest anything in Lucy. They treated her like a house plant. They fed her very little. And even though there should be natural growth for a human being, when you're starved of nourishment, your body shows it. She had the development of a six-year-old because she was starved of nutrients that were needed at a key developmental phase in her life. And she would not ever recover from that deficit, no matter how much she ate later in life. When I asked about her legs, I assumed it was a congenital defect, but they said, no, no one ever taught Lucy how to walk. And children don't teach themselves that. She crawled around for a while, and eventually, whenever they needed to move her, they just picked her up like an object and carried her to another place and put her down. So her legs never developed the strength the bone density in, that comes from learning to walk, fighting gravity, supporting your weight, all those things shape the legs the way they're supposed to. And instead, her legs bent the wrong directions. Her bones became very brittle. She had broken bones something like 20 times in her young life, had multiple surgeries. She was in arrested development. Her body was atrophying. And all because even though biologically she was programmed fully normal, she should have been growing. Nobody gave her any of the inputs, and she was never given the ability to walk on her own power and strengthen her body. And what I saw in Lucy's physical condition taught me a lesson about the way that people grow. That nothing in this world grows by neglect. Nothing. It might get bigger, it might get older, but things don't grow through neglect. Relationships don't grow. Our faith life doesn't grow. Our business doesn't grow. Our family doesn't grow. A marriage doesn't grow. Nothing in this life grows without investment. 
even though that investment would be worthless without the supernatural divine spark of God's involvement, both are needed for anything to grow to its right form and level. And so the Apostle Peter writes in, in his first letter to the church. And he's talking to new Christians here, people who have just made a decision to follow Jesus as their Lord and their King. And he says, just like newborn babies, which is what you are right now spiritually, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If you are a new Christian in this room today, you will know it because you will experience rising in you a hunger that wasn't there before, a curiosity, a desire to know more and experience more of this kingdom of God. Whereas before you used to fall asleep in sermons and, and the words just went right over your head, suddenly you develop a, a curiosity, an intense desire to unpack the truths that are, that are being talked about. There are sermons that I heard before I was a Christian that when I heard the recording after becoming a Christian, the experience was totally different. I was like, how is it possible that the same words hit me so differently? Well, it's the same way as when you hear love songs on the radio, you're like, oh, whatever, uh, and then you fall up, you're like, oh, those songs make you cry. Isn't it weird how a change in your life circumstance makes the same tune mean something very different? Just wait and see. When you fall in love, every love song is like, that's my song right there. Oh. It hits different because you're feeling it, you're living it. Something has changed in you. And so the very same things are met with a different appetite. When you're a new Christian, you will know it because a new appetite, a new desire starts to rise up in you. And it's, it's sharing the space in your heart with the old appetites that were always there. And you have a choice every day to feed one or the other of those two appetites. You can continue to feed the old appetites that you fed every day when you had that, that absence of spiritual life, when there was nothing going on in your soul. You can just keep feeding those old appetites and you'll stay exactly who you once were when you were spiritually dead. Or you can begin to feed that new appetite and this new thing which is an infant inside of you will begin to grow to maturity. And my plea to you, if you're a new Christian, is learn to feed that new hunger you're sensing in your soul. It's so much easier to chill out and just watch Netflix than it is to listen to something that helps you grow. But when you make that investment and you feed that thing which wants to grow inside of you, it will grow because God, He ordains it to grow. He wants that part of you to become greater than the part that He wants to put to death. I encourage you, if you're a new Christian, Learn as much as you can about this faith. I remember not just going to my church every time they opened the doors, but back in those old days, we used to get cassette tapes. Do you remember those things? And I used to love getting cassette tapes of other sermons that people would give me. So you got to listen to this one. This one's awesome. And I would put it in my car. And I'm like 16. I'm driving to my car and I'm listening to sermons. I just couldn't get enough. I began to read my Bible again. And it's just all of it was... It was just hitting me deep inside. I really missed those early days when it was all new and there was such a voracious hunger. If you are a new Christian, you will know it by the new hunger that rises in you. I encourage you to feed that. And as you learn more, here's how the growth really takes root. As you learn more, 
Align your life. Live out these things which you're learning. You'd be amazed how deeply that imprints the truth of the kingdom of God in your life. There are practices I began when I was very young that have stayed with me to this day. My father always taught by example what it means to be a generous giver, to really give your tithes and offerings, and that was impressed upon me so much when I was a new Christian, I just decided when I had nothing, I'd give 10% of nothing, which if you do the math, is still zero. But when I had a little something, I learned to just give on that, and that stayed with me to this day. I think that alone has freed me from the deep love of money I used to feel when I was younger. It's not like I was a great person, I was trying to learn this. It's just these things that I learned early on that convinced me, yes, this sounds true, I think this is right, but it wouldn't have rooted in my life had I not put it into practice. And when I gave on a little, I learned to give on much. I earn much more money now than I did then. The, the lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice remained because I learned it, God taught it to me when I was an infant in Christ. The early experiences of growth that you have when your appetites are new, those things anchor you for the future of your spiritual life. Some of the lifelong principles and habits you will pick up as a Christian will be learned in the earliest stages of your faith journey. But of course, just like a baby, you don't stay in infancy forever, do you? When I looked at that video, I was shocked at how little these kids used to be. Some of those kids have driven on their own up to the retreat this weekend. That's insane to me. These kids were like being held. I saw Audrey sung with all that fried milk or whatever on her mouth and thinking, man, Audrey is such a young lady now. How did those years go by so quickly? But it just reminds me that you blink and babies grow up. They become toddlers, they become teens, they become young adults, and they become parents, Lord willing, at some point in their future. And if this is the natural and intended course of things by God's plan, then we have to understand that the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. You cannot remain in spiritual infancy forever. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. What other choice do you have? But when I grew up, I put away childish things. What is he really saying there? He's saying that one of the ways I did grow up is I recognized that the things that nourished me in my baby stage are not sufficient to nourish me as I grow. More is needed. Can you imagine, Charlie's in the front, let me pick on Charlie. Imagine, Charlie, if I invite you out to lunch tomorrow, and as we sat down at this nice restaurant, I pulled out this, this little bottle of milk with a nipple on it, and I just started going, so how's your week been, Charlie? You'd just be like, what is going on with this dude? And then I opened a little bit, bottle of Gerber's and just started spooning it in my mouth. Airplane's coming. You, you for sure think something's wrong with me. Right. Because the things that nourish a baby are not sufficient to nourish a growing adult. There's this deep spiritual principle that just because something filled you once doesn't mean that's all that you ever eat again for the rest of your life. You do that as a surefire way to stay in arrested development, to remain in permanent infancy. 
We have to eat and consume and do things that are different as we grow or our bodies don't develop. It was okay for Lucy as a baby to be carried around because she could not walk. But when she came of the age where she could learn to walk, it was absolutely needed for someone to push her to walk so her body would develop. Much easier to be carried, but far more devastating to your development long term if you are carried everywhere and never learn to walk. We know this to be true in other walks of life because I'll tell you right now, I've seen it in this church all over the place. People who were just beginning their careers but today are accomplished, successful professionals. There are people I've introduced to the game of pickleball who have far surpassed me. And the way they do that is they are absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about this game. They pour their lives into it. Every other walk of life, we understand this to be true. That when you're beginning, it's all natural. You just take it all in. But as you develop, you have to pour more in to get more out. That's just the natural law of the universe. God has ordained it to be so, and it's no different for our faith life. But there's always a danger that what satisfied me once is enough. I'm familiar with it. I like it. You know, some people, they, they develop a palate when they're young. Like, I only like this. I'll never eat that. I'll only have nuggets plain with maybe a little ketchup and only this kind of juice. And they have like three items on their menu that they will permit anyone to serve them. And they don't stretch their palate ever beyond that. That becomes a huge handicap later in life because you need a breadth of nourishment in order to give you a full diet and help you develop. But if you say, well, I only like these things. I'll never eat anything else. What happens to a person who lives that way? They become narrower and they rob themselves of the full spectrum of the blessings that life has to offer. I think people have a tendency to do that spiritually. When I was a new Christian, I didn't have the habit of going to church regularly. I was brought to church, but I didn't want to go. Once I got my license, I was like, oh, that means I can go whenever and wherever I want. It would have been easy for me, once I got my license, I told my parents, Steve and I were going to a different church. All the way in Glenview from Libertyville, 35 minutes away by car. My parents had no idea where we were. We could have gone to a video arcade, to the movie theater every Sunday. They would have never been the wiser. But God, in his strange timing, as soon as I turned 16, he whacked me, I got saved. And I was driving to church like three days a week. But I remember that the things that satisfied me then were not enough for me now. I still need those things. I need to go to church regularly to be around the other people of God. I need not only to preach sermons, but to hear them. I delight in the times when I'm here in town and one of the other pastors preaches. I love being at our church on those days because it's rare that I get to receive the preaching here at Harvest. And I love when our other pastors preach. I grow from it. On top of that, because I am the guy giving the sermon so much of the time, I have to consume teaching and writing far outside of this. Someone was joking with me over dinner recently that uh, they don't read enough. I said, well, you should quit your job and become a pastor because you have to read all the time when you're a pastor. But it's not a burden, it's a delight. We have to feed those appetites. And when we don't do that, when we continue on baby food and milk, well into our life as a Christian, something happens in us that isn't good. The writer of Hebrews had stern words for people who were in this situation. In Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, here's what he writes. You have been believers so long now, 
that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And that's really telling because as we get older, you would think right and wrong becomes more simple, but haven't you experienced that as you get older, life becomes more complicated? The difference is not always so clear-cut. You have to be so discerning to know in this situation what truly is the right thing. And very often the right thing is not the easy thing. The right thing is the very last thing you want to do. You cannot continue to do the right thing over the course of your life unless there is a corresponding maturity in your inner being that supports doing the right thing when it becomes very difficult, very complex, very costly. And so the writer of Hebrews rebukes a church that has remained in permanent infancy, not because they didn't want to grow, but because they didn't bother taking anything in beyond what fed them as babies. Now, I'm not suggesting these words as a rebuke to any of you. I'm simply saying that these words exist in Scripture as a challenge to all of us, myself included. Is this ever true of us at any stage of our lives? Have we found that we continue to cling to a faith that nurtured us when we were very young and new, but have not grown in the way that we pursue after God and His kingdom as we've grown older in the faith? Would you pause with me this morning to consider the investment you're making in your own spiritual development? Does it parallel the way you've grown in other areas of your life? Someone once said to me on a pickleball court, man, if you approach your faith the way you approach this game, you'd be a superstar. It's like, you stink, man. But it's kind of true. I was thinking about how I was so excited about this new game I'm learning that I'm watching videos, I'm constantly practicing, even when I'm sitting at my desk, I'm like, what would I do in this situation? What would I do? Could I invent a new shot where I fake a backhand and do? You're just constantly running through it. I thought, when's the last time I really felt that about my faith life? <coughs> Genuine excitement, passion, obsession. And I just really, I, I want that to return to my life. I'm asking God to renew me in this way. And I want to invite you to join in that today. To not let this be a heavy process of regret and guilt, but just say, you know, how am I really doing right now? Is the, the spiritual life inside of me reflective of exactly what I've poured into it? Because I know that what's missing is not the ability to grow. God's put that already in me. Everything is in there. But maybe my spiritual condition is explained more by the, the way that I've approached growing. Not because there's some deficit in what God has applied. We call this recommitment service for a reason. Because it's a time when as we turn the corner and close out an old year and look ahead to the new one, we want to do so in a posture of rededicating our whole lives to God. Every year people around the world, religious and irreligious, engage in making New Year's resolutions. 
And I think those are fine. You know, people get jaded and cynical about it, like, oh, whatever. Everyone says, I'm going to work out, and January 1st is the most crowded day at every health club. And by January 4th, you can get back to the machines again, because everyone stopped. So it's easy to get jaded and cynical, but I think what propels us so often are moments of conviction. We shouldn't fear them or be cynical about them. What we should do is lean into them, because in that moment, there was a purity and intensity of desire for change that felt real to us. Something in our hearts is stirring, and in a Christian context, I believe that is the Spirit of God churning our guts inside, saying, Soul, wake up! Don't accept death! Don't lay there and slowly suffocate. Come alive! And in a moment, we're, we're moved, maybe in a sermon, maybe listening to a podcast, maybe just taking a walk, the Spirit of God seizes us, and there are two voices, an angel and a devil sitting on our shoulder, and the angel says, Lean into this moment. God is with you. He wants you to change, to be new. Say yes to Him. Uh, commit to something. And then the devil says, uh, you did that last year. Look where it got you. Don't believe it. You're, not, you're never going to change. I want to take my fist and punch that devil in the face. And go, you shut up. You don't know. You never know if this moment of conviction is the day it happens for me. If this was the one moment of inspiration that I needed to come permanently alive and start to grow. We need those moments in our life. Because every day is so mundane and ordinary, it starts to numb us. That doesn't mean we live on those highs. We have to lean into them. We have to walk in them. But don't be afraid of the moment of conviction when the presence of the living God stirs something in you and the desire to be different for change feels very real, very urgent. Lean into that. It may not last more than a week, but if you suppress it when it's happening, it will go nowhere. God lives both in every moment of life and in those key moments of our lives. He inhabits both. We need to open ourselves up in both. So I'm going to give you a moment to think about a resolution. Instead of a New Year's resolution, let's not worry about our financial condition or our golf swing or our physical bodies and appearance, those are fine, they're important, they're not for this setting. Okay, you don't need a church to tell you, you might want to hit the gym or get a promotion this year. All great. Start that tomorrow, okay? Another day. But today at church, we're going to focus on our spiritual life. And I'm going to ask you to consider, instead of a New Year's resolution, a new life's resolution. Something that allows you To lean into the new life which God began to stir up in you that wasn't there before. And if what you find is, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if that spark was ever there. That's your first resolution is to ask God to give it to you. God's word says we don't receive because we don't even bother to ask. If you've been coming to church and you've brought your body here but your soul hasn't really come with it. And you just feel like, what is all this? How do people generate momentum about this for so long it could be that something deep inside has been missing and it's okay to ask God to hit that that button and spark that up in you say maybe God I've been learning about Christianity but I never had that encounter that set a dead soul to life would you give that to me maybe that has to be a resolution for the coming year because this is not a fake it till you make it endeavor This is something that begins with the real thing that God does. And then everything we do is because that real thing happened. 
So I'm going to invite you to listen for God's voice. But for some people, um, when they get silence and they listen for God's voice, what ends up happening instead is all kinds of stray thoughts come rushing in. So I'm going to give you just a few examples to uh, maybe set the table. And, and none of these are restrictive. You don't have to go with any of them. But in case your mind just draws a blank, I'll give you a few things that, that are along the lines of what I'm suggesting here. One is simply get back into the practice of reading your Bible. Every December, we launch a Bible reading campaign that asks you to make some kind of commitment to read the Bible daily. We don't do that at Harvest because it's a religious duty. We do it because we believe that this, this Word of God is food for the soul. And a lot of people, what they're experiencing are not mental and emotional things, but th that in fact, there is a malnourishment in the spirit. That's not to negate the reality of these other things. But for a lot of people, they're... they're their core malady is spiritual malnutrition. They have not eaten of the Word of God in so long, except one meal every Sunday, and their spirit is starving for nourishment. I'm shocked at how many people in the church have made strong, dogmatic conclusions about God and never once read the book He provided where He reveals Himself. It's amazing, when I travel and I preach at other churches, and I ask people, how many of you have read the whole Bible cover to cover at least once in your life? I'd say on average about a quarter of the room in anywhere I go raises their hand. And this is inside the church. I don't know how we make such strong, our minds up in such strong ways about a God whose book we have never read. I encourage you, if you've never read the Bible, don't do it because it's religious duty. Do it because the most amazing being in the universe wrote a book to introduce himself to us. If I told you aliens visited us and gave us a book, I'd be, the, I'd be first in line to buy that book. I'm like, i got to read this. The living God has provided a book. How can we not read this as often as we can? I want to encourage you, as Pastor Frank sends out emails about the Bible reading campaign, to lean into that, to engage in a commitment to eat regularly of the Word of God. Maybe commitment for you has to do with the area of prayer, because I think prayer is, in, in, in general, a very big weakness in the spiritual life of the American church. So I'm going to encourage you to consider maybe setting aside, just at the beginning, five minutes every day where you just talk with and listen to God, apart from your meals. I can easily say I pray at least two, two times a day, <laughs> sometimes three. But beyond my meal times. I need at least a few minutes every day where I just set it aside to be with God in conversation. Maybe it's just the, the discipline of listening. If you're not good at reading, listen. There are some really amazing podcasts. There are some wonderful sources of preaching out there that will nourish your soul. Great preachers, better than any of us here at Harvest. And I think some of those things will feed your spirit. Maybe what you need to commit to is documenting your journey, even though if you're not a, by nature a journaler. Buy a blank journal notebook and just say, every day I'm going to write down two or three sentences that talk about how God showed up in my life today. Or maybe how He didn't. Just honest recollections of what this day was like for you spiritually. I'll give you one last example. Maybe for some of you, your goal, your commitment will be to stretch somehow. Because maybe for a long time, everything you've done spiritually is stuff you've done forever spiritually. Familiar things, routine things, comfortable things. 
Maybe this year what God is challenging you to do is to stretch in some way that is uncomfortable, to do a hard thing, a not natural thing, that is an obedient response to God's calling on you, that will stretch you in some way, to go somewhere you wouldn't normally go, maybe to finally overcome that barrier and say, I'm going to repair this relationship with someone that I've just lived with for so long in brokenness. Whatever it takes, I want to see that made right. Stretch. So I'm going to invite you to consider a a, a new life resolution, a resolution you can make that will nurture and grow the new life God's put in you. And as you do that, the the ushers are going to uh, pass around a half sheet of paper and an envelope and some pens. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? And this is the point at which I'm going to ask you to lean into this with me and engage the process as fully as you can. As you discern a certain commitment you can make, I want you to write that down on this piece of paper in a letter to yourself. Just start it out, dear, put your name, put today's date, maybe say a sentence about why you're making this commitment, why this resolution is important to you, what you're feeling in this moment as you write it. And then as a second thing, consider, is there something you can do, a very immediate next step, that you can do today in support of that resolution? So let's say you decide, I just need to listen to at least one podcast, or um, I'm going to read one Christian book a month for the rest of this year. Then maybe your next step today is write a list of those 12 books. Or subscribe to that podcast. It's a very small step, but I found that what I do in the next 10 minutes after conviction has a lot to do with how that conviction plays out in my life. A decision to do something someday is often a decision to do something never. And so think about the way that you can take this commitment God's stirring in you and say, is there one thing I can do concretely this very day that moves me forward towards that resolution? Even something like just buying my first paper Bible, because if I do it on my phone, all those notifications get me all sideways. I'm going to get a paper Bible and go, oh gee, I'm just going to look at it, thumb the pages, highlight stuff. Paper. Words on a book. What a novel idea. And then as you write it all down in a short letter to yourself, put it in the envelope, seal it, put your address on it, and there's a box at the welcome table outside on, the, on your way out, I would really encourage you to drop that envelope in that box. And at the bottom one, we're going to mail it back to you. It's rare that we get snail mail, so you'd be like, oh, someone wrote me a letter, and then you remember, oh, shoot, this is my own letter to me. But still, it's meaningful. Why? Because what you're writing down is capturing like a photograph one moment in time. You, you know, in every photo you see yourself, and you're like, I was there once, but I don't remember exactly what I was feeling, but I looked really happy. Just because you're smiling in a photo doesn't mean you smile forever every moment after. But that photo is a snapshot to remind you there was a moment in time when this felt real. When I felt very engaged and present, this was important to me. And I'm going to record that. That's what this letter is for us. And as it's mailed back to you in about a month, it'll find you in some place in your journey. Maybe you found that that commitment made a huge change and you're still rolling with it. Or maybe you'll find you totally let it go, you forgot it. We don't send it back to you to make you feel terrible or regretful. 
We send it back to you to say, do you remember a day on, on December 30th of last year when this felt really important to you and you made a commitment to, the God, to God? We just want to remind you that in your own words, you said these things. It's never too late to pick it back up. Why don't you begin again today? And Pastor Frank had this great idea. Why send it just one month after? Why not send another letter back and we'll do this again several times throughout the year. So we may invite you several times in 2024 to just write a letter to yourself, which we'll once again send back to you. It's a very cost-effective way of saying the things that matter to us, matter to us. And we're going to lean into those things and let God work in our lives. So I'm going to give you a couple more minutes with just some music going as the praise team gets ready to close us out in the service. Take a moment, listen to the voice of God, write this down. And please do drop it in that. And make, your, make sure your name and address are on there. Otherwise, we'll have no idea who to send this to. Okay? And then we'll get that to you in the bottom line. With that, I'm going to invite you guys to play some music over the system and, and the praise team to make their way slowly back up. We'll close out our service with a song. those of you who this morning felt a conviction, a yearning in your heart to be made new, to grow spiritually, and you wrote a commitment that came from the depths of your heart, know that God is greatly honored by your response to Him, that He wants for you the very thing you wrote down more than you wanted for yourself, that He will carry you and support you in this endeavor and will not call you to do this alone, to carry that weight by yourself. Sometimes the hardest part of any change is the decision to change. God delights when we make that decision in His presence. Know that God intends to help you honor the resolution you have made this morning. When you're discouraged, do not give up. Lean into your God. Ask Him to continue helping you. Don't ever give up on your spiritual life. It's the only part of this life which will truly outlive this world. Ask the Lord to make you new, to continue making you new every day. And as He does it, may you experience the fullness of the life He has in store for each of us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be blessed now, and into the new year, and forevermore. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.